Yeah, buddy. So we're back with Chris, Harry, and Hayden here. Um, last week we talked about Esther. Um, well, we actually didn't talk about it. We talked it. Talked it. We right. talked it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I talked it into existence. Yeah, we voice acted it, which was super silly um, and fun. And so at the end of this fun. episode, we'll have some outtakes from that if you were curious about hearing how bad we actually are. You're welcome. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. So, um, yeah, so now we're going to do kind of the same thing we did with Ephesians, which is now that we've read it in its entirety, listened to it maybe a few times throughout the couple weeks that it's been since we recorded, mm-hmm. what are we thinking? What's kind of, yeah, what, what's standing out and what, what is the purpose of this book? Big questions here. Well, let's, yeah, let's start from a 30,000-foot view. And then go through it chapter by chapter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think one of the obvious things that I recognized about this story, and this is something that you've said to me before, Hayden, is that it is just sort of very dramatic. It's, it's high drama. Yeah. There's not a lot of downtime. Um, there's a lot of action. There's a lot of crazy things that happen. There's a lot of like um, ridiculous characters, you know, like in a movie where there's like the super bad guy, Haman, and then like the purest of the pure girl Esther like it's just very much like a movie script that you're reading Mm -hmm. which I think sets it apart from a lot of different books of the Bible that might be like super slow and difficult to read it's really yeah it's like an interesting like short story Mm -hmm. as opposed to well not that (laughs) the Bible isn't interesting there are a lot of parts of the Bible that don't feel as compelling yeah like numbers like reading through that there were 13,054 whatever and and just like wow why am i reading this actually one of the reasons i love some of old testament books is because they read like a novel Mm -hmm. and they just keep like first samuel is i love reading it like i really want to know what's going to happen next and i I feel like esther's written that way too yeah you could you could just like take cover to cover esther put a hardback on it and give it to someone and be like read this book and they'd be like whoa this is cool yeah you know, until like the last two chapters, and they'd be like, yeah. "Why am I reading this? Oh, this was history. Oh, lame." Yeah, boo. Yeah. But I think I think this book of the Bible, like others, like First Samuel, like you said, or like a Jonah, like they read different. They mm-hmm. read in an entertaining sort of way, as opposed to like prose. Yeah. You know, like uh, Ecclesiastes or something like the Torah, which is very very dry sometimes. So this was this was exciting to read and to act out. And, I mean, if you're like me, too, this could really speak to you because I, I'm i not a big guy for memorization. Mm-hmm. And I know memorization's good. Like, Jesus modeled it. Paul modeled it. Like, mm-hmm. it's a good thing. But um, for me, what really sticks with me more is stories. And that's how I, like, think of God in moments that I need to think mm-hmm. of him. I was like, oh, God brought his people out of this situation. Mm-hmm. Like, this, this applies to me during this time. Yeah. Man, I was thinking about that the other day and how cool the Bible is in the fact that it does like utilize all these different tools to get the same message across um and so if you are someone yeah who is just like loves stories loves narrative like there's places in the bible that you're just gonna be like oh this is amazing or if you're like a mathematician and you love logic like paul might be the guy for you you know you're gonna love reading his stuff because he's just so logical or you can turn to the psalms if you're just like a creative poetic Mm -hmm. you know sort of person and those are going to speak to you and like i just think that's so cool that like there's no person like their wiring is not left out like Mm -hmm. everyone is spoken to in the bible so that is just a cool thing and i think to emphasize that without going too far into it but that that shows you that god uses all kinds of people too yeah you know which is really neat that is a really good point yep well and then I wouldn't know this. I feel like this is like your Bible trivia. But like another thing that doesn't like come out to me when I read, read this, but like something that I already knew was that God is not explicitly mentioned in this book of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so like I feel like that is what you're talking about with like different mediums or different ways of getting the story across or the message across. This in and of itself in regards to that does it in a very specific way in that it teaches you something about God without him ever being an explicitly named character in the story, which I think is cool. And and if I had to guess, was probably done on purpose. Um, But just to your point, it's like a cool way of, cool way of teaching something about a character that is never even in your story. Yeah. I don't think I had heard that until just like a year or two ago. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't, honestly, I couldn't remember before then the last time I even read the book of Esther. Mm -hmm. Like 
you know, why would you unless mm-hmm. like you were going through it in church? Yeah. But yeah, it, it ha I mean, I would agree with you. It has to be intentional. Um, and if you know the Jewish people, then you should know their heritage and that they follow the one true God and that's mm-hmm. their thing. But the book doesn't require you to necessarily know that. But if you do know that, then you know why they're going through this, their history with the Exodus that God continues to bring them out. And so Mm -hmm. you're kind of bringing that into Esther going, okay, I know about the Jewish people. I know that they have been brought out of things before. Like, let's see if that happens. Yeah. So that's maybe a good place to start Mm -hmm. with this is, so the setting is kind of interesting and I think unique in the Bible. Um, Maybe there's some prophets that, I mean, there are some prophets that kind of speak to this time period too, but not really many. Um, so this takes place in Persia, um, which is, yeah, during the reign of Persia, which, you know, A is just like a real thing. Like mm-hmm. historically, we know that yeah, if you've of- seen the movie 300, you know what the Persians are all about. You know, it's like this is a real, a real place in time that actually happened. Um, and so that's just interesting. But like, yeah, how did, how did Israel get to be living in Persia? How did... What was kind of the history that led to this? Someone want to give us a quick recap? As I look to my right. So if you know about Jewish history, they've spent um, a lot of time after the Exodus being divided and then being put back together and then divided again. And you have um, basically to go through Israel's history, you have the Exodus from Egypt and they have the conquest of Canaan. And then you have judges govern Israel. Judges, Mm -hmm. terrible point in time, Mm -hmm. but gets redeemed through Samuel and then through um, a little bit through Saul, not much. And then definitely through David. David's like their glory days. Because they're actually their own autonomous kingdom at that point. That's like the one, yeah, that's like the one sliver of Israel's history where they're not slaves, basically. And if you read through, if you continue reading through the Bible, knowing that you'll see them constantly talking about like the good old days. Like that's what they mean when, you know. They refer back to the times of King David. Yeah. So you have the United Kingdom, which is that time, which is like a great time. And then you have the Divided Kingdom. Um, David makes mistakes. His sons rebel against each other, rebel against him. The kingdom gets divided. And then they go into exile. Um, Then they have a time called Assyrian exile. And then you get into Babylonian captivity. So basically, um, the Jewish people have lost almost all their power. They're in captivity. They got taken over. And this is where this gets set. So like the only book I know that has Babylon in it, this explicitly is Daniel. Like, where would this line up? In like, would it be before, during, after? We don't know. I think that this is coming after, um, yeah. because I think the Assyrians run through first, take over Israel, mm-hmm. um, and then, mm-hmm. but but Judea kind of stands alone for a little bit. Yeah, but, the Assyrians are actually, I mean, not nice to them, but they allow them to keep their religion. But then someone else comes in. Yeah. Bigger, better, Babylon. Yeah, Babylon comes in. They take over, and um, that's when you see they ship out all the smartest, the greatest people, and that's the mm-hmm. story of Daniel. And then I, I'm pretty sure now we're sitting in a third kingdom wave that has moved in, that being Persia, um, and they're now kings over this. And you see, I think this is where Ezra, um, Nehemiah come back into place, where Persia doesn't operate exactly the same as Assyria and Babylon. Mm-hmm. They allow people to kind of go back and rebuild the temple and things like that. So um, I could be wrong. Yeah. Me on that. So what I, what I see here, um, it's very close. And I think there is a little bit of confusion, but um, it looks like there's Jeho- Jehoiakim as a vassal of Babylon is like a mark in here. And then right after Jehoiakim is Zedekiah. And then Judah under Babylon's rule, and then Jeremiah, and then Daniel, and then um, Ezekiel. So it comes like right before Zedekiah. Mm-hmm. Apparent. This is this is probably also educated guessing. Right. Um, no, we don't get. No. So it, it's right before a lot of prophets. Mm-hmm. It seems to be what it is. Yeah. Well, and I would say maybe this puts like the tip on our overview discussion, which is. A lot of books in the Bible play off of this theme of being in exile or being a slave or Mm -hmm. being um, in like political asylum. Mm -hmm. And I think that this, once again, has like a different facet of all those things. This is Esther 
who is pulled from her heritage, from her land, into, you know, basically a foreign land underneath a foreign king um, that does not agree with the way that she lives her life or, or does her religion. Yeah. It's like, how, how is she supposed to remain faithful to God? Like, Daniel um, is definitely a book about that. Um, a lot of the, once again, the books of the Old Testament are really, really hard on that particular. Like, how do you, how do you be a Jew um, underneath Pharaoh? How do you be, uh, a, you know, an Israelite underneath Babylon? So, right. How do, yeah, how do you live out your faith underneath another power? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you can see, like we even talked about, Assyria handled it differently than um, mm-hmm. Bab- Babylonia. So like there's different ways to do that yeah. depending on your... Yeah, so I think I think that is something that sticks out to me um, as we read this is I, I think, and this is just, I don't know that I've ever heard anyone really say this, but I think that it's in conversation with other similar passages mm-hmm. that um, Daniel, for sure, it's in conversation with it saying, you know, da- Daniel is how, how do we respond while we're living in exile do we rebel do we um you know just Mm -hmm. kind of slowly plot or do we you know just go all in do we just invest in the culture wholeheartedly Mm -hmm. um what are the things that we do um and so we see daniel's response which is basically just go all in but with a few certain guidelines of don't bow down to the idols Um, so don't worship their kings or don't worship their gods. Yeah. Don't worship their kings. But other than that, be for them. Still give them respect, follow their orders up until it like conflicts with your, and like Esther does that in this story. Joseph's another person who does that in his. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. And as you were talking about Daniel, I was like, Daniel lines really closely up with Joseph. Well, all three of these kind of line up too, because that's another thing I wanted to talk about is that like in the old Testament and then in like the whole Bible, You've got these protagonists that are very, very flawed, like obviously flawed. Like you've got Peter doing dumb stuff or betraying Jesus, or you've got, you know, Cain and Abel. It's like, who are these protagonists that are these somewhat terrible people? But then those three that we just talked about are kind of like these shining white lights. Like they never really do anything truly bad in their stories. You know what, too? Like I... I'm just like seeing this for the first time. All of those line up with Moses too. Mm-hmm. It's about God using one of his people through another kingdom to bring his people out yeah. and to save them. Yeah. Like that, that's how he does it every single time. And he picks somebody very interesting. Yeah. And this one, like we're in 2020, so this is not the way it is anymore. But like women, like he picks a, yeah. uh, he picks a foreign woman in this story to save an entire nation. Like that is a very, very powerful statement when this was written thousands of years ago. Absolutely. You know, Moses... Me and Rumble were watching The Prince of Egypt this weekend. Oh my god, I it's love like, that movie. dang, this movie is amazing. But it's like, yeah, Moses, like this ironically, you know, raised, you know, royal subject basically, yeah. who has this past that he, you know, only knows after a certain amount of time. Like, of course, he's the perfect, the, the Saul that turns into Paul. It's like he picks yeah. these ridiculous protagonists that, like, of course, turn out to be in hindsight the perfect people to do what he wants yeah. them to do. I think Esther brings this all together perfectly with, you know, maybe you were made for such a time as this. Mm-hmm. It's the same that thing. Line. Like, it's it's you were put there for that moment. And, mm-hmm. like, like, you're talking about Moses, that's yeah. the perfect person. Daniel. Yeah. It's awesome. The other thing I think that's just kind of worth noting is, okay, these are God's chosen people. Why are they living in slavery? Why are they living in exile? And part of this is important because it brings up some context as to why Haman is like such a bad guy. Mm -hmm. But I think it's good to remember that like God has allowed mistakes to have ramifications. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is one thing that I think is just worth saying a lot because I think we tend to blame God for bad things when the Bible is saying actually it's, you know, sin, but sin that humans have allowed Mm -hmm. to enter in because, you know, you rewind it all the way back is like, well, God's good plan was to have humans in the garden with him. Uh, but who ruined that? Oh, not God. It was God. us, yeah. Yeah. And then, so it was God's good plan for Abraham and his family to live in the promised land. Oh, but who ruined that? Oh, that'd be Abraham's sons when they sent Joseph away. Right. But then God still raises him up. And But the, the Egyptian slavery is a result of that. Like, they go to... Yeah. 
Egypt to be their provision in a time of famine rather than just trusting that God's going to provide. You know, so you have that. And then you, yeah, you see the same things going on in, with Daniel. Like, why are we in exile? Well, the kings were disobedient. They partied up with Assyria as opposed to, you know, trusting God. And so I just think it's, it's good to remember that God's not the one who is, like, punishing. He's just saying, I'm allowing your choices to have consequences. Right. I think that's really important because, like, we talk about that particular subject for a long time. But just to say that, like, God's judgment, even when you're reading a whole book of the Bible, which, like, is what we're recommending because a lot of people don't do that, but you still need to look at that book and story of the Bible in concert with everything that's around it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you need to start literally from page one Mm -hmm. and get all the way there to clearly see, like, oh, yeah, like, why are the Jews in exile right now? Or why are they slaves right now? Or why are they being conquered by fill-in-the-blank of whatever, you know... uh, superpowers conquering them it was for a reason and it was actually because of something that they did something we did yeah and so i mean like the huge plot conflict in esther is that they're facing mass extinction Mm -hmm. by this guy haman and so then the question is well like why and and why is god allowing this and part of it was saul was actually supposed to have dealt with this problem before mm. it all all the all yeah. over esther you hear this and he is the son of agag son of agag mm. son of agag is hey yeah. yeah he's an agagite mm. and you're like okay i get it why is that important and yeah. then yeah later they like his wife says it explicitly like these are the enemies of your fathers and so you're like oh oh wait there's another there's a backstory yeah. going on what's the prequel what's yeah. Yeah. origin story yeah. yeah so saul's big mistake was that he didn't kill king agag when he was supposed to he let him live and now you see the result of that is that agag's son later you know like grandson by a long shot is now this big bad guy and they are they're having to deal with these ramifications and then you're like well why did why would god want Saul to kill Agag that seems kind of messed up but then you got to remember again going back is they wouldn't have had to deal with these foreign people in their promised land if they just would have stayed there instead of going to Egypt you know and so it's like you know we're like why does God say these things why does he ask him to do these things Mm -hmm. it's like well they're actually dealing with their own consequences here it's not God yeah and you see that all over the Bible but it's important to remember too when you're reading Old Testament like God's primary purpose is to preserve his creation and his people Mm -hmm. and so you see god with the jewish people and sometimes that means that there are other people to get conquered and killed by the jewish people but the whole point of that is to bring everybody back to god like it's all in line that leads up to jesus to say everybody will creation will be redeemed but that can't happen if the jewish people don't succeed well and it's also really hard to like look at all these things that happen and not blame god for the bad things that happened and then sort of gloss over the good things that he does in right. light of those. Oh, absolutely. You know, I just think that us as Western readers and then us as like, you know, first world country, it's just all great. It's really hard for us to look at that and not be like, oh, the injustice of it all. Yeah. But really like when you just start from page one, you see the consequences play out and you get to a story like this where we are, you know, as believers in the story, you know, if I'm going to insert myself into there, we're there for a reason and that reason is tied back to us and God still finds a way to redeem us and prevents yeah. us from getting you know, extinguished. Yeah. And that goes back to the flood story too. Like God made a covenant with humanity saying, I could kill you. You deserve to die. You deserve to be wiped out. But in spite of everything you've done, mm-hmm. I'm going to choose to preserve you. Yeah. yeah. So then we look with all that stuff in mind, yeah. we take a look at Esther, who again is living in this foreign occupation. And I think part of the question is, you know, what, what should be our response? What, what is their response? And how does it um, build on the image of what they've been doing before when and dealing with foreign oppression? So like with, with this case, we have Esther who I, later on, she's like, hey, if this had just been about our slavery, I wouldn't have actually pressed the matter. And that, like, when you first read that, you think that maybe that's her, like, kind of cozying up to the king, be like, oh, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have brought this to your attention if it was just about slavery. You it know? was just double but, slavery. But this is something bigger yeah. than that. But I think she's actually being true and yeah. honest mm-hmm. when she says that. Like, she would have just dealt with the consequences of mm-hmm. being a people in slavery. 
um, and trusted God to deliver them from that because we've seen that Moses, in Moses' case, he he does. And so I think she actually trusts God to deliver them out of slavery. But then she's wrestling with this moment, well, this isn't about slavery anymore. This is about mass extinction. So do I just trust God to deliver or do am I supposed to be stepping up in trust of God to do something mm-hmm. about it? And that kind of touches on something we talked about a week or two ago, you know, in an ancillary way, and that is faith versus works. And I think previously we were talking about that in a way of like, okay, what's going to get you into heaven or whatever? I'm using air quotes for the people that are listening. What's going to get you into heaven? Is it going to be you just like trusting and having faith and believing in your heart? Or is it going to be you feeding the poor and you know clothing the homeless and all of that? Um, or is it not either one of those things? And here, you're right. Like Esther is obviously a very faithful woman. Like she, she acts in a way that shows faith, but then she also acts. She also does things. So she's not just like sitting at home praying that her you know entire family and entire group of people isn't exterminated. She actually does something about it. So yeah, that's a good point. And I think there there is something to be learned from this, like because we don't hear God directly in this, mm-hmm. like it shows us that Esther really acted on her own volition, maybe inspired by God, maybe inspired from the stories, maybe inspired from, you know, trying to protect her people and everything she's read. But really, it, it's because of her knowledge base and her upbringing and all these other factors, mm-hmm. rather than just God saying, hey, go do this. Yeah which yeah. for us is way more relatable. Yes, it is. Like, and like that's a, a yeah. problem I have with the Old Testament where it's like, where is the booming voice of God in my life? And it's like, yeah. well, it wasn't in Esther's life, and she was in way more sticky predicament than you ever have been, Harry. So like, won't you buckle up? Yeah. Follow the lead. That's true. Yeah, we didn't get any visions or... No. No. <laughs> yeah. And and so I think, yeah, where where you start to see that is really in Esther for where it's towards the end, Mordecai's talking to Esther, and he's like, he, the, man, this is just so good. Mordecai says, Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than the other Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and, and you and your father's house will perish. So Mordecai trusts God either way, mm-hmm. which is which is cool just to see. He's like, okay, whether it's you who actually does the delivering or not, God's going to deliver us. That's what we know. That's what we've seen. And so I trust that. However, who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. And so he's like, maybe you are the one who's supposed yeah. to step up. And then Esther's response is just so good. She says, Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or um, night or day. And I, my maidens, will also do the same. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. And so she, she is like, I think this is where the tension between Daniel and Esther comes into play is because Daniel doesn't follow the law by not doing something. <laughs> he He's breaking the law by not bowing down mm-hmm. to by the praying. gods. Yeah, by just kind of abstaining from something. Mm-hmm. Here, Esther's going to be breaking the law by doing something. Mm-hmm. And so I think we see this, this kind of nuance. When should we just not do something, yeah. you know, and just trust that God will deliver? And they say almost the exact same thing to Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, where they're mm-hmm. like, if you throw us into the fire... That's fine. God will deliver us. Even if he doesn't deliver us, he's, we still trust that God is good. And, and if we die, we die. And so she says basically the same thing. And so you just have that little twist. But they go to God first. You know, They're like, we're going to pray. We're going to fast. We're going to spend time. And one thing that I, as I was listening to this most recently... I was always like, why does she do the two banquets thing? Mm-hmm. Why does she do the banquet the first day and then yeah, do it the second day? The second time. I think it's actually because she wanted to allow all three days mm-hmm. of praying and fasting before Those she asked. Three days, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. which is interesting. Um, and so she's she's like really like I need to spend the actual time in prayer and communion and allow for God to to show His hand if He's going to open these doors mm-hmm. for me then I'll, I'll take the steps forward, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So I guess like you brought up an interesting question earlier and I just want to think through it, but mm-hmm. like, yeah, where, 
I mean, I don't think we're ever going to find that like line in the sand. But yeah, for Daniel, it was not bowing down to a king. It was inaction. Yeah, and for Esther, it was the extinction of her people. Yeah. Like, but outside of that, like, what, what, where do we draw the line? Do we draw the line? Mm-hmm. Like, in what our government controls? So I think that's a big question right now. It is a big question right now. Yeah, how do you how? I mean, very practical. Looking, looking at Esther, it seems all the way up to slavery, yes. right? Unless, unless my people you are going to die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think that that's just a situational line, although I know yeah. what you're saying. But that is the question. Like, how do I apply this to my life? Like, that's, I think, a healthy way to apply the Bible. How do I stay true to God? How do I live a way that shows to everyone around me that I believe that God is king over all? And then still operate in capitalist 2020 America. Yeah. You know? I think what is important to both of these two is that neither of them are, like, insurgents mm-hmm. and, like, open rebellion, like, trying to take down the king. Yeah. Well, I think both of them, if we're going to talk about Daniel and Esther, both of them were actually, like, in the cushiest position that they possibly could be in. You know, like, considering, you know... Well, got, bring in the other people we talked about, too. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> like, Moses and Joseph. Both of them are just living large. Yeah. Like, they, they're in really, really good situations. Yeah. Technically. And then they do... I mean, Esther... I'm really glad we talked about that in Esther 4, because it is, like, the end of Act 1. It's, like, the defying gravity of Wicked, of Esther. Like, it's so intense, mm-hmm. that, that those, like, the interplay of lines. Because she's like, okay, I just got picked out of thousands of women. I'm the queen of everything. I'm basically, you know, as top of the top of the women that could, I could possibly be. Yeah. And I'm going to do something that, like, there's a really good chance I might die if I do it. Mm. It's crazy. Yeah. And I think that's that's a really good thing that you guys brought up is in all those stories, they're risking losing that position. They're mm-hmm. risking losing that authority and power. Everything. Yeah. But trusting God instead. So, you know, Daniel comes to this point where he's like, if I don't bow down or if I continue to pray and, you know, trust God, I will lose this stuff. Um, so who do I trust? Should I trust my authority, my position, or should I trust God? Esther in the same here. If I trust God and go before the king, there's a good chance I'll, I'll lose my life, you know, and that's like losing that power and authority. And so I think that's a good thing to remember is that, yeah, the authority, the power that the that they've been given, the position that they've been given, has been given to them, but they need to also not just cozy up in that and not just feel secure in that. Like, mm-hmm. God is calling them, or or they're being called up to a point to, to decide what they're going to choose. Are they going to choose the comfortability of the life that they've been given, mm-hmm. or are they going to be willing to give that up? In some cases... They're giving it back. Mm-hmm. In in Daniel and Esther's case, like they're actually given more because of the trust that they have in God and their willingness to give up that position. God responds by giving them back. Moses leaves Egypt, <laughs> like doesn't come back. You know, yeah, he becomes a wanderer in the desert. You know, well, I think it, uh, and this can be an application as well. I think those characters seem to have a healthy appreciation for the earthliness of those things that they have, the power or the wealth or the comfort. Um, and you can look at it two different ways, I think. If you're Esther, you can look at it as like, yeah, I really like these these things around me. I really like the situation I'm in, but like that was given to me by Babylon. Like the things that are given to me by God are, are things that cannot be taken away. And so having like a healthy opinion of this is not truly important to me. You know, what's truly important to me is God. Yeah. I think too it would be um, I don't know. It, I think it would be a, a bad move for us to not acknowledge that, like every one of these situations, except. Well, I would even, I would even say worshiping somebody besides God is is equal to this, but it's life or death. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like you, Israelites have been in captivity and slavery before, and like <laughs> every time God's redeemed them, um, it usually isn't surrounded like with a war. There have been times where they're following God and they go into war, mm-hmm. but they're usually when they're in captivity or slavery, it's like giving their captives the option mm-hmm. and saying, look, like this is, we need to worship our God. We need to do this. Like Moses's case, like let my people go. Right. Great phrase. Like Pharaoh had opportunities. And if you look at, we can't get into Exodus, but if you look at that story, God gave Pharaoh a lot of opportunities. And if you look at yep. this story, <laughs> Esther is giving the king a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. and he takes it. 
Like, this is, like, good for the king yeah. here. Like, he actually listens to Esther. That's true. Wow, mm-hmm. that's really interesting. Yeah, kind of a flip side coin. We're comparing Esther and, you know, Moses and Daniel. But maybe part of the comparison that we should be looking at here is actually the responses of the kings, mm-hmm. too, and, and the result of that. In in Daniel, like, King Nebuchadnezzar is brought low. He's, you know, he's brought to this, like, animalistic form. And, yeah. And God kind of puts him in his place. Same thing with Pharaoh. Yeah. They both responded by not listening to God. The opposite's true here, like, where King Ahasuerus listens, trusts mm-hmm. um, what the... Uh, advocate is saying like his kingdom actually prospers um, for some time after yeah, that. I feel like uh, maybe it was just the jolly way in which you voiced the king, but I thought the king was actually an okay guy when I listened to it because it's yeah. like, open up first chapter, this dude's throwing a bash, dude. Like <laughs> the, the whole first chapter where they describe the party is like, I want to be at that party. It's like no one was required to drink, but everyone, like poor men and rich men alike, where it's like, this party's awesome. Yeah. So, like, he seems like, you know, a pretty nice guy. And then he's, like, pretty conciliatory with Esther throughout the entire thing. Like, what do you want? Like, I'll give you half my kingdom, babe. You can have half of it. I'll give whatever you want. Like, he seems like he's seemingly like a nice guy. That is probably not true when, like, you actually look at the Persian Empire. Sure. But in this but, story, yeah. he, he, he's certainly not like a pharaoh where you're like, why is this guy thinking the way he is? Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely not like the Pharaoh in the story of Moses. But yeah, it is interesting to see how these kings respond. And when they respond well, God blesses them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like... That's, and this is this is probably hard for Christians to swallow, but that's outside of them even following God. Mm-hmm. Like, they might be following the advice of one of God's servants, but, like, in uh, Joseph's story, like, that Pharaoh didn't convert to Judaism. No, he was just like, thanks for the interpretation. But he was dreams. blessed. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. That, that can happen. God yeah. can bless people through us, even if they don't follow our God. Yeah, I think that's actually, like, a really practical moment here and, like, gets to Paul where he's, like, you know, submit to the rulers and the authorities and the governing figures. I think that's because that part of their theology is that, like, God has called rulers to, to, like, have authority and dominion, but they're always supposed to be submitting that authority to God. And so whether they prosper or not is dependent on their humble state before God or not. And so I think that actually gives us a place to step in to say, okay, in all of these situations, what is the common denominator? Moses points to God as the ultimate authority over Mm -hmm. Pharaoh. And then you have, you know... um, Esther does the same thing, but just kind of through her actions. And you see that consistent theme. And then Jesus, and like ultimately, and I think, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't say that all these are pointing ultimately to, to Jesus and where he shows this the most. Um, he does the same thing. And Pilate's like, don't you know that I have the authority to let you live or die? Mm-hmm. And Jesus is ha- like, you have no authority but what's been given to you. So I think that that is the place where we can step in and say, okay, regardless of some of the differences in the context, like what's the consistency and what mm-hmm. can we learn from that? Is that part of our role as Christians is to ask the authorities of the world to acknowledge where their authority and power comes from and let them know that if you do, if you humble yourself before God, like there will be like prosperity, whether that's like physical prosperity or not, just like that God will do good things in eternity if you submit your authority to him. If you don't, Mm -hmm. there will be judgment. That's such a hard thing to do diplomatically. What you just said, you know, like, because in each of, I mean, in each of those, that is what that protagonist does, and I, I don't even know if Esther, may, I, don't, I actually don't think Esther makes it that clear. She's not quite like God is above you, right? And so this is His will. She does it in like a much more diplomatic way, but that is in essence what she's yeah. doing. So it's it's interesting to think about me in 2020. How do I diplomatically and calmly communicate to any sort of higher power to be like, hey? Appreciate that you're leading. Appreciate the work that you're doing. It's not easy. But I just want you to know that I know that every bit of authority that you have is not actually yours. It was given to you by, yeah. by higher authority. This is interesting for me because I don't know that I've ever thought about it this way. But it, it seems like 
it's almost um, moment by moment or situational. Like in a moment, a pharaoh can be giving his allegiance to God. Now that doesn't mean he's following God. He, he might not even know it. Right, he might not even know it, but that doesn't mean that um, good can't come out of that. So, like, to put it in, um, like, real world, our terms, like, whoever the president is, like, you may hate them, you may not like them, but that doesn't mean in a moment God can't use them. Or, so, like, there, there can and probably will be good coming out of them whether or not you like them. And I always pull from the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, where C.S. Lewis kind of juxtaposes that with there's an evil group of people that follow Tash, mm-hmm. which is like a fake idol god. And then there's the good group of people that follows Aslan, which is supposed to be like personification of God or Jesus or whatever in that book. And he says, like, even if you did things in the name of Tash, your God, but they were my things, they were my good things, it's like you were still actually doing them in my name. You didn't even know it. So once again, it's like we're talking about the authorities, we're talking about the powers that be. We might also just be talking about people who don't necessarily explicitly follow God or any religion that's anywhere near us. It's like we can still have an influence on them. That is not super evangelistic, you know, but we can say things to them. We can have an influence on them, which points them to do God's will. Yeah. Points them to the ultimate authority. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's the consistency in all of this. Like, what should we do? In all cases, we should be pointing people to the ultimate authority. And I think like that sounds kind of like abstract, but I think it really gets like so, so practical to the day to day. It's like, what should I do in response to this conflict? Oh, I should point them to Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. if that, like, that just becomes so practical once you put it in any yeah. situation. Right. Well, and the most, I think, I've said this before too, like, the most practical thing that I've ever seen that's going to help with that particular thing is like a WWJD bracelet. You know, it's <laughs> like, is it really that hard to point people towards Jesus? It's like, no. It's like, whatever situation is going on right now, you should just be like, well, what do you think Jesus would do? You know, yeah. And you can say that in like a little bit, once again, less evangelical way if it right. makes you or them more comfortable. But it's really not that hard to put it in that context. And I think that that is, you know, even thousands of years prior, that's what these people are doing. Like Esther is thinking to herself, like, what is the most godly way for me to go through this? And like after yeah. praying and fasting about it, she's like, I need to act. I need to do something. I think you bring up an interesting point. Like even talking to people who aren't Christians, if you frame it in the way of what is the loving thing to do? Yeah, yeah. Um, what is the right thing to do? Like we, we might have different morals and different foundations, yeah. but a lot of the times I've had those conversations, we end up at the same place. I think, and we could talk about this forever. I believe that there is a conscience in humans. And I think it, I think it's probably developed and it's probably different a little bit among people, but I think that there, are, there is an inert understanding of right and wrong. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm a caveman. I don't necessarily want to push that caveman off the cliff because the, I don't want to be pushed off the cliff. You know, like they might still do it because they want their you know, belongings or something. But I, I just think that there is that inert, I know good and bad when it comes to certain things. And you're, say, like you're saying that I could talk to anybody and I could play off of that knowledge of good and evil I could say, you know, inside of them, regardless of who they are, what they believe. Yeah. I think, you know, obviously there's always exceptions to the rule, but I think by and large, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you could have people with way different perspectives on why that is. Mm -hmm. Like some people would say that's just how humanity flourished. We all had to put our needs aside for the good of the community Mm -hmm. in order for humanity to overcome like other animals, whatever you want to say. just a social tool. Or right. Whatever, yeah. Or you could say that was put there by God. Yeah. But I think either way, like when you sit down in a group of people, like most of you will come to same basic ideas. Now, when that gets super practical, like, and it gets political, yeah. then things get like crazy. But I think what you're saying is in any of those situations, if you try to appeal to that moral or whatever, compass within people like that loving goodness that we are going to choose to believe is in all people period that i think you're actually saying what would jesus do you're actually pointing them towards god without maybe being super explicit about it and doing it in a way that's going to appeal to them yeah c.s lewis argues it really really well in mere christianity Uh, 
I don't believe it. That guy's not articulate. <laughs> no. Yeah. Really so well argued. But yeah, he basically, that's the foundation of his argument for God is that we have a moral compass. And if there is a, a standard of right and wrong and some things measure closer to that, then there is a authority behind that. Like there inevitably has to be. And so you're pointing people to God when when you like when you say like well, okay well where is this authority coming from mm-hmm. and i think i think though part of the the israel responsibility that then gets passed into like the christian responsibility is to say who that authority is mm-hmm. like i think there is part of like that that is the good news is that like Israel's supposed to be saying, your gods aren't the gods, our God is, and here's the proof. They do it very poorly for like the whole thing, you know, and they're supposed to be inviting people in because of that, saying like, look, your gods can't do what our God did in Exodus, so come, be a part of this family of the true God. And and I think that's part of the responsibility that we have too, is like, your gods can't raise people from the dead. Like, no matter what you look to, whatever you think is the ultimate power and authority in the world, it will die. Our God doesn't, and he proves it. Um, and so, so come, like, follow this God, follow Jesus. Um, so, yeah, I think that's... There, it's it, but what you guys are saying is good because like it's a universal starting place mm-hmm. and that's like I was gonna say if if you find yourself kind of arguing the existence of God or whatever, um, go to Mere Christianity because C.S. Lewis does such a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I think what we're the two different points we're talking about it's just like a progression. So it doesn't matter who you are or necessarily what you believe, like. We're asking you to believe that there is good in everybody that you can connect to on some sort of a superhuman level, you know, like you guys are just going to agree on certain things regardless of who you are, but then you're bringing it to the next, even for me, which is like the more uncomfortable spot, which is like, and then you need to explicitly say, it's the God of Israel that is, yeah. that is determining these things between us. And like, I don't even know if I'm at a point in my life where like, I can wear a shirt that says God, Jesus on it. And that's about as evangelical as I get. Well, I think that, too, like looking at these people, for examples, like, I, I mean, I don't know that it always has to be, if somebody asks you, that's how you respond. That's, but people will ask you. And they will. Yeah. And especially if you're living that way. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if you have the opportunity to talk about it, you should, but it's not always like being up, like being overbearing with it you know like if you're loving people well and directing those people towards love well and like really honestly trying to live that way eventually like somebody's gonna ask you like i mean even might be something basic like hey would you do this weekend like there you go man you got your opportunity you got to talk about it just say it and a lot of times like just starting there is going to get you to those conversations but i think bringing it back to like being a christian and living Honestly, in a society that we, we like to call a Christian, but really isn't that Christian, is that you, you have to maintain those values despite everything else. Mm-hmm. And not always in a way that's like rebellious, but in a way that you want the place you're living in to succeed. And the way it's going to succeed is by being pointed back to who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's why I think like it does get really practical um, when when you're talking about like what is the good news of Jesus. Because I think sometimes, yeah, it's like, oh, well, I trust in Jesus to go to heaven when I die. And you're like, oh, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, that's good news for mm-hmm. sure. And it's true. But like, if, if there, there's like such a bigger good news, which is that like, there is a good father who lays down his life that will like prosper you mm-hmm beyond this life into eternity if you humble yourself before him and and like obey and so i I, like that is like such good news because everyone is looking for prosperity everyone is looking for the good life but anywhere else you turn is an 80 to 104 years maximum you know prosperity (laughs) and so like to say that like why do i follow jesus well because like i have seen that he he is alone has the authority over evil and sin and death and that's those are the things that take away all the other things like 
if you have if you have you know a good family sin and that's where you put your faith sin could ruin that like if you have just like a good life in general evil from another source can come in and ruin that if you're living a long life death will come in and ruin that so like no matter what you put your faith in like one of those three powers is going to come in and ruin it and so then the question is is like well what how is there hope then and like the the very practical hope is like because jesus proved that sin doesn't overpower him he lived a life without sin he he proved that evil can't overpower him like he he was handed over by the ultimate evil of both religious authority and governing authority and yet death he he proved like can't overcome him mm-hmm. he rose from the dead and extends that life um to people who follow him and so i think it just like when when you start to put all this into perspective and like what the the breadth and the width and the height and the yeah. depth of the love of god really is like it becomes practical good news mm-hmm. um and and like that's what esther is demonstrating here is that okay i'm putting the the direct action like i'm i'm showing the king that he has an opportunity to use his authority to prosper the people of god like i ask him mm-hmm. or not right. whether he does that it doesn't really matter what he chooses god like mordecai says like god will deliver he will provide mm-hmm. but i'm giving him the opportunity to trust god in this moment um but whatever happens my hope is found somewhere else yeah. And like what she's doing is a trust, a trusting yeah. in God. I think that's really good. I really like everything you said. I think um, to to backtrack just a bit, mm-hmm. a challenging point for Christians, um, I think really for me, it is not to focus so much on, um, this sounds really bad, but the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people think the good news um, is solely that after you die, you go to heaven mm-hmm. when you don't. The good news is actually that relationship starts now. Yeah. Like you don't have to wait till you die. You shouldn't wait till you die yeah. to like live in that, to live in that relationship with God. And like that's the real good news. Like it starts now. And a lot of Christians now um, like to live with allegiance to those other things you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Family, um, occupation, whatever. All those things that will disappoint them. And then give like 10% over here to God mm-hmm. saying that when I die, like that'll be my life. But right now I'm not really going to focus on that. Yeah, um, I, we can keep going down this track. The other, so I think the one track that we see Esther really respond to is how do we react when we are just under authority? How do we react to that authority? And I think kind of the conclusion we've come to is point them to Jesus mm-hmm. all the time and say, and kind of give Jesus' responses. Your authority comes from God, so do with it what you will, but know that there are consequences mm-hmm. in judgment. Which, which also is like a response to us too. Like we're not only supposed to just be pointing that to the authorities and the powers of the world, but reminding us, you know, that that's the truth for us. And that's where you see that that fruit, the truth, come out in these stories is they believe it because they lay their life on the line. They put their life on the line. In some cases, God delivers them, and in Jesus' case. Like he does die because of his allegiance and obedience to Christ or to God. But obviously then God does just like Mordecai say, Mm -hmm. he delivers him by other means, you know, by his death and resurrection. Um, So that's the one thing. I think the other thing would be um, the coolness that God isn't explicitly stated um, in this. And so you have to, you get this opportunity to see God's providence working in the ways that we kind of see it in Mm -hmm. real life where it's like you kind of do the look back thing and you're like, oh, Mordecai just so happened to be at this gate where this plan was being made. And, and then you, you get the little juicy nugget forward, which is like, and then all this was written down in the presence of the king. And so you're like, okay, that's weird. But then later you go on and be like, oh, that actually was God's providence as well, because at some point the king notices Mordecai and is like, oh yeah, Mordecai, the dude that saved my life. Um, I remember that from when they read that to me in the records. Okay. Um, what do we do for that? You know, and he just happens to not be able to sleep the night before Mordecai is going to die. And that's what saves him, you know? And so you look back and you're like, oh, God consistently 
provides, provides, provides in these small detail ways. And so I think maybe that's that's the other thing that Esther can speak into is not only um, how to respond in in practical faith to God, but also where is God mm-hmm. in this? And, and remembering that they're in exile. Yeah. Well, and I think that second one that you said is the one that I personally can can get really practical with mm-hmm. because it's kind of hard to yeah, read. It's tough for me. Well, and it's kind of hard to read like Genesis and be like, okay, let me apply this to my life because mm-hmm. it's so it, you know it's so fantastic and, and foreign and just different. This is like a Netflix drama, as I've said, yeah. which is like still very different, but it is also much more applicable and practical because God is not this like supernatural being that is mentioned in doing all these magical things. He's not even mentioned it at all. Um, but I could do exactly what you said in my own life. I can look back and I could say, okay, if I hadn't done that terrible thing and done that terrible thing and done that terrible thing and had Roma, my daughter, then I wouldn't be living like this great life that I am now. So like you can, you can get practical and kind of in hindsight trace God through your mm-hmm. life. Using those things. Using those things. For his good. Yes. And so like, I think that that's kind of what this story teaches us as well. You get to the end of it and you're like, oh my gosh, wow. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. These things all had to happen for us to reach this point. And then you can do that in your own life as well. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I really like that. And I think that's where I can be practical as well mm-hmm. too. I, I don't have a problem with the first one pointing people to Jesus, but I have a problem with what that actually looks like mm-hmm. because like to bring it really practical yeah, and we don't have to take a side on it at mm-hmm. all, but you have right now church completely divided on an issue, oh, yeah. whether it's godly to meet in person or whether it's godly to put the health of people first. Yeah. Right. And like right. what, like when you say like do what Jesus did, like you'll have one group saying, well, Jesus flipped over tables because people weren't respecting God's place of worship. Mm-hmm. That'd probably be like, okay, like we should meet in person no matter what, because that's what God instituted. And then you have other people being like, well, Jesus always put the needs of those um, those that were struggling first. Yeah. And like he always put other people first. So like that's what we should be doing. Jeez. Like that, So that like, oh my gosh, like to be really practical with you guys, like that's what I'm struggling with, but that's what the whole church and the you, I mean, okay, that's what the church mainly in the U.S. is struggling with. Yeah. Church well, worldwide is not struggling. Well, with. I'll think, I think one of the, not pitfalls, but like one of the problems with that first point that Hayden mentioned, like the second one, super practical and super easy to do, especially in hindsight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the first one, super uncomfortable to do, first of all, from like squeamish Harry. Mm-hmm. But number two, the second that one of those issues is like politicized. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about like Democrat and Republican. I'm talking about like, you could get Absolutely. societally politicized on anything. Yep. The second that one of those issues gets like that, it becomes very, very difficult yeah. for you just to say, what would Jesus do? And have like a super easy answer to that. Right. And so I think, know. yeah, I think that's probably what happened in the mm-hmm. U.S. is that it was, it, it became a political thing. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't about um, necessarily the issue anymore. It was more politics. Yeah. And like the church doesn't really speak into politics too much except for respect the authority that's in front of you mm-hmm. up until it gets in the way of, um, up until it puts itself in place of God. Well, and I'll say maybe to put a bow on that as well, circling back to what Esther does, what does Esther do when she's presented with an issue? Like hers is obviously a little bit more black and white. It's like, do I do nothing and die and let everybody I know and love die? Or do I do something and maybe I die, but maybe I don't, you know, but, but when she's presented with an issue like that, that, she doesn't just like ask her best friend what they think and then say that. She doesn't just make an you know, immediate decision. She's like, okay, I'm going to fast and I'm going to think about this for like three days. Yeah. And then I'm going to decide, you know, I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to think really hard about it. And then I'm going to decide what I think the, the greatest thing to do is. Yeah, uh, that's what I was going to say. I think, you know, in some, in some case, I think, yeah, part of what we should learn is that Daniel acts differently than Esther and Esther acts differently than Moses, but they're all doing the godly thing in their context. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, that is important. It's like, should we meet in person? Should we not meet in person? There might be one church across the road from another church that it is right for them to meet in person because they have people with, you know, that depression that mm-hmm. would be in a really bad way if they didn't meet in person. But the across the road might be a whole bunch of 80 year olds who shouldn't be meeting in person. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think part of that is, you know, is Esther 
imposing against Moses and saying, you did it wrong by going and saying, let my people go. That's not what she says here. She doesn't say, let my people go. That could have been a totally reasonable response. But Mm -hmm. she says, if it was slavery, then it'd be slavery. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, yeah, I, I agree with you, but I also (laughs) disagree with you. Yeah. Well, and like to push on it a bit, like these are completely different time periods. Mm -hmm. Um, even from each other, like, I don't know how far apart, but at least hundreds of years apart. But I, yeah, I just, because if, if it is a church across the street, then one church is um, obeying authority and one church is not obeying authority. Okay, that, that is true. And that was one thing that I was going to say. Unless it's is, not that situation. Right, exactly. Is, you know, if the situation for both is you don't meet in person because that's what the law said, then you, it seems to hear that I think the response would be then you don't meet in person. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, again, you could you could talk across state lines though. Yeah. There could be one church in California that hasn't met in a year, and there could be another church in Texas that's been meeting regardless because that's what they're allowed to do in their situation, and that's where they feel God is leading them. Yeah. Well, also, I think we're juxtaposing an issue like, uh, yeah. like, like the one Esther's going through, where it's like, okay, this is black and white. Yeah. Like millions of people dying, or millions of people not dying, and like now we're talking about an issue where, like Hayden, as you said. It could be situational where one yep. church chooses A and one church chooses B. But I think that what that highlights is the answer is actually A and B at the same time, you know, because it's situational, because there's groups of people. But the way that groups of people make decisions is not situational and it's mm. not, okay, yeah. how do we cater to everyone? It is pick an answer and then we'll count up the A's and we'll count up the B's and whoever had more is going to be the winner, which I think is just like if we're talking about how we, you know, apply being God's hands and feet in these situations, I think it's bringing light to that, you know? And that is going to strip the politics out of it. It's like, okay, maybe right and wrong isn't best answered with, like, a Democratic vote, you know, in these situations. Maybe it's like, let's just look at the situation and think about what is the best way. Yeah, maybe we need to spend some more time in sackcloth and ashes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, before we make our decisions. absolutely. Because I don't think we do a lot of time. Yeah. No. Yeah, and I think this really underscores and highlights how divided our church is more than anything like when i hear us talking about this i'm like this i mean there there were definitely divisions before like christ but holy crap we're divided yeah like when you look at the american church there is the there's unity in denomination and that's like pretty much it which is bad and it's sad well there's there's unity in denomination and then there is a incredibly low level of knowledge about what the denomination yeah. that you are unified within actually means. Yeah. And I, yeah, I'd say actually there's way more unity in politics yes. than there is in church, yes. which is frustrating. Yes. Like the church should be above all of that. Yeah. Like it should be the bride of Christ and that should be what identifies us first. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, once again, I think now we're actually arguing for our point <laughs> instead of yeah. against it, which is like, let's go back to point number one. It's going to be super difficult to do, and it's going to be super uncomfortable to do. And also, you might need to like pray and fast about it for a couple of days before you might not even then know what is super clear to do. Yeah. But you should you should try to really steer yourself into a mindset of okay, what is my number one above all primary focus? Is it my political party? Is it the church? Is it the denomination? Is it my friends? My family? Because like all those things are really good things yeah. for you to like. Is it my pastor? Your, yeah. Like, Those are you, things that are really good for you, you to devote. You can't be devoted to your pastor. No, you have to be devoted <laughs> to God. You have to be, you know, and then you have to understand what exactly yeah. that means. Yeah. One thing that, that brings up, we should probably start wrapping up, but um, yeah. that, that brings up um, with, with this that I think is also really practical is, you know, we talk about kind of pointing to Jesus, to the authorities, um, but I think we should just remember that that means like all authorities and, and one really practical way is like right now the American church is kind of reeling from a really high profile pastor mm-hmm. who is, you know, now being exposed for, you know, bad things, sin in his life. And one thing that it just showed me is that like probably there wasn't enough pointing to Jesus yeah. to that guy who was a pastor then because they just assumed he was fine. You know, they just assumed he's a pastor. He's fine. And so I think, yeah, we can be like, you know, Oh, the president, we need to be pointing him to Jesus. Or you might be on the other side where you're like, the president is for Jesus, but like whichever way that you 
land there, you should still be pointing them to Jesus mm-hmm. because whether they look like it to you or not doesn't really matter. No. That's not what yeah. God calls us to is to determine who looks like Christ and then point the other people to Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, he that I think that's one of the things I love about the parable, the weeds and the wheat. It's like, that's not your job. Don't determine who's a weed and who's mm-hmm. a wheat. Just go spread the word. Like, yeah. that's all. That's your only job. Yeah. Well, that's once again, very practical. Yeah. Whether you really believe in the leader or the, you know, establishment or whatever it is, or whether you don't, your job doesn't change as a Christian. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. to point them in the direction of Jesus, ask them what would Jesus do, what's the loving thing to do, whatever. But do that regardless of what you think about them, regardless of what your opinion is, because you're supposed to do that with everybody. Yeah. And like, I, I really like you bringing it down this level because. It is, it is super easy to go out and vote. It is super easy to get mad over a political issue, get mad over masks or whatever, mm-hmm. or get mad at people not wearing masks, whatever. All this, is, all this is really easy to do. But what's really hard to do is, like, go volunteer to Soup Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Go talk to your pastor and challenge him. Mm-hmm. Like, to be perfectly honest with you guys, like, and, like, outside of this, mm-hmm. I don't get challenged very much by yeah. people. People just assume I'm doing all the right things because my title is pastor. (laughs) But I am am flawed just as much as anybody else, maybe more so than others because of that lack of challenging. Mm -hmm. And so, like, to be really practical for the people listening, like, go, like, ask your pastor how he's doing spiritually. Mm -hmm. Like, challenge him on something. Like, ask him if he needs accountability. Mm -hmm. Um, Same thing with anybody in authority in your life. Like, maybe there's um maybe you have a local mayor that you can actually reach out to and ask how they're doing or like support or challenge them or you know if if you really do believe in jesus like voting for the rights of people is great but what is way better is going out and trying to feed somebody on the streets or like do something practical Mm -hmm. I don't know. The high level is easy to debate and talk about. And, like, I went right there, so this isn't my fault. But, like, to bring it down home, like, to actually ask what would Jesus do and live that out is is way harder. Yeah, and I think that's where maybe the two points connect in landing the plane is, like, once you start living it out, people are going to ask why you're living it out. And then you have that opportunity to kind of do the look back and point thing. And so a good another practical step is do that. Mm-hmm. Like have have your life kind of start looking back and see like where has God like just been a bright shining beam of light to show like this is how I've worked and um, you know, some places are going to be really obvious, you know, you're like, he gave me a daughter, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. yep. and then other places, you know, one thing that I just love about, again, C.S. Lewis is he talks about Jesus's miracles. He, he talks about the water to wine and how like part of the reason for that miracle is to point us to remind ourselves that every time we see wine to remember that God is the mm-hmm. one who works that miracle. Like we wow. can, we can scientifically know how it works. But that doesn't change the fact that it does work and that's a miracle. Like It, it happening yeah, is actually incredible. Exactly. The fact that water becomes wine over a long process is still incredible. Like mm-hmm. there's nothing not incredible about that just because we know how it works. And so maybe it's like, oh, Roma, yeah, came into my life. I have a daughter and that changed my life. And God just like, bloom, threw that in there. Or maybe other times it's just like, wow, I have a body, I have a brain, like yeah. these things are happening. We live in a world that's just perfectly distanced from the sun. Like this isn't yeah. a coincidence. I love having right? those thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> How are we spinning at the perfect speed? Yeah. How are we rotating around the sun at the perfect distance? Yeah. yeah. And then and then so when they when they have those when you have those challenge moments for people like this is who I put my hope in and they're like, Why? You know, you, you, I think what Esther and Moses and Joseph show us, like our obligation is to say why, and then whatever they do with that call to authority is not on you. Correct. Like you are just to be faithful in the doing. And then whether like Pharaoh, they tell you, you know, no a million times or whether like the Persian king here, they're like, yeah, okay, I believe you. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not really your problem. Like deliverance will come from, from right. God either way. It's just your responsibility to make that effort to them yeah. because God might use them. Yeah, exactly. So cool. Esther is sweet. Love it. Yeah. I know it is. It's hard. <laughs> when was the last time you like read out loud? I know. You know, it's like. 
Instead, he went home and spent time with his friends and Jareth and his wife. I don't know where that came from. (laughs) But he resisted showing his anger right then and there. Instead, he went home and spent time with his friends, Zeresh, his wife. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) All right. These names are so hard. I can hear the women now talking amongst each other. Why should we listen to our husbands? (laughs) (laughs) I can't stop laughing. I wasn't expecting that part. He was so good. (laughs) <laughs> Just picture this like old man. Yeah. <laughs> Already getting pretty, pretty lit. No big fan. <laughs> big fan. The Persians execute their criminals by impaling them on a sharpened pole. <laughs> now we know. Yeah. Quick ah. to the point. The king was sitting. Sit- <laughs> the king was seated on his throne. All right. Dude, it would work. Yeah. Let me, let me get some yeah. <laughs> Ow now, brown cow. <coughs> Unique New York. The awesomeness has oddly shaped feet. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, he went home and spent time with his friends and Zareth, his wife. Zeresh. <laughs> but he resisted showing his anger right then and there. Instead, he went home and spent time with his friends and Zeresh, his wife. Zeresh. His friends and Zeresh. That's like the part that's bothering me. His yeah. friends, friends and, and Zeresh. Zeresh. Yeah, yeah it's okay. not very good. I'm going to start nine again. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's one bad dude. Do you know? Also, you're. Heyman, did you know? Heyman, did you know? <laughs> <laughs> also, your, your king got a little like Jamaican. He got a little. Yeah, like, he's he a little more African, African than he yeah. was before. <laughs> it was like deep worse than you yeah. Whatever. It's, it's all good. good. It's all good. One of those eunuchs was Harbona. Look. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. You got to do it, man. <laughs> Look. <laughs> Look, Mickey. Yeah. Oh, 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 o